Welcome to the Echo Cast. I am Bond, and this is a podcast about all of the news, reviews, and speculation around video games on all platforms in almost every genre. This week, we will be talking about Ubisoft acquisition rumors, another Star Wars game, Kojima staying independent, Ubisoft massive game leaks slash info, and more. A few things before we jump into the news. If you are listening, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. And if you're on Spotify or iTunes, please leave a review. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like this video, and hit the bell icon in order to be notified of future podcasts and other videos that I post. Last but not least, please join the Discord to chat about the podcast gaming news, and anything else you like by clicking on the link in the description of the podcast or the video. Let's jump into that gaming news. <clears throat> so, uh, the, the the big story, which just dropped yesterday, I'm recording this on Saturday because I'm, you know, I've been a little under the weather, still not feeling great, but we're, we're, we're pushing through. Um, there are, I don't even know if I would call them rumors, but there um, are reports that um, Ubisoft is looking to be acquired. That's not big news, even if it hasn't been public. It's not that surprising. Um, if you don't know about um, Ubisoft, it's probably the only really big one of the publishers left that's like family owned. Um, so, and I always, I assume I say his name wrong, but Yves Guillemont, um, who's the, the, the head of Ubisoft, um, owns the company along with, I, I believe a few of his brothers are family members. Um, they're still like the owners of the whole publisher, uh, and all the devs, right? Um, and I have predicted for a while that he's not young and at some point you want to ride off to the sunset and enjoy your, you know, your retirement and, you know, the, the, the twilight years of your life. <clears throat> so I have predicted for a while that them uh, being acquired wouldn't be that surprising Ubisoft um, because I, I just have to imagine there's going to be kind of a moment of like, okay, you know, I've left my legacy you know, I, I, you know, I want to move on and cash in with a big old fat check. Now, the assumption before was that it would be Sony or Microsoft or, you know, maybe even like an EA or a take two or one of the really, really, really big publishers. And Ubisoft's a large publisher, but not to those levels. <clears throat> But the, the report now is that there are um, some investment groups interested in Ubisoft, um, specific, uh, specifically Blackstone uh, and KKR. So I've never heard of these groups. Um, I don't know much about, you know, these type of financial entities. Uh, so I went to both of their websites. And if you look at their portfolios, I mean, literally probably hundreds of businesses that these these 
these two groups own. Um, and I, I put out a tweet yesterday saying like, Hey, like I know, you know, I'm not super into the idea of Ubisoft being acquired by a Sony or a Microsoft because we still need like big third party publishers. Um, where, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, actually, I don't think I have it on here. Um, you know, th- there's been a lot of rumors about what, um, oh no. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it soon, but you know, th- there's rumors of, you know, like an Ubisoft or an EA getting acquired and that would kind of, kind of be a bummer because, um, if, if they're acquired and become a, um, uh, like an exclusive brand, um, and, and yes, uh, when Microsoft acquired Bethesda and ZeniMax, and even, um, I was a fan of that. Now I was a fan of that because at least with Bethesda, they had an existing relationship with Xbox. You know, they've had exclusives on the Xbox. It's been an ongoing relationship. Um, but I will say it, it can start to turn into kind of a, uh, you know, not so much as a, a, as a, of a gift as time goes on, because, um, you know, if you have deals kind of like what Bungie and Sony did, where they are owned by Sony, but they're still going to be a third-party publisher, then that's cool. Um, I have a kind of a hard time believing that if Sony or Microsoft were to acquire Ubisoft, it would be that deal. Um, I think you would obviously see them keep Siege multi-platform because it'd be dumb to try to reverse that now. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if you if you would see a Assassin's Creed, you know, future division games, Far Cry's, you know, the Splinter Cell game is coming. All of those become exclusive. So in that sense, one of these groups acquiring them would be kind of cool. On the other side, when these big giant um, investment groups buy businesses, um, like like if you look at the portfolio for Blackstone and KKR, um, they are all over the place. Um, they're all over the world. They, 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 they own studios or not studios. They own businesses in every part of every region of the world. Um, and you're talking about like, I think I saw like clothing brands, uh, fast food places, uh, like just like, like, like design houses, like all kind, like, like literally every type of business you can think of. And, and what I did notice in both of them is when I scanned their, their portfolios, I didn't notice any gaming companies. So I assume this is both of them, um, trying to reach into that world. So th- there is a best case scenario where Ubisoft gets sold to one of these big investment companies. They install new leadership which probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Ubisoft, depending on who they pick, right? Because as unsatisfied as I think a lot of people are with what's going on at Ubisoft, um, and it seems like they're really stuck in a, you know, in a loop of, of, of games where they just, you know, it's, it's been a while since you can really argue that Ubisoft has done something really unique and new. I, I, I think the Mario Rabbids game, the first one is, is the last thing that I've, I see, I've seen from Ubisoft. Where I'm like, oh wow, that's really creative and unique and interesting. 
And so in theory, you know, them installing new leadership, there being new ownership and stuff could be a good thing. But what there's also a habit of these investment companies doing is they change a lot um, because they aren't investing, especially because they're not uh, they're, they're not businesses that invest in games. They're businesses that invest in businesses. Right. So they don't really care about, oh, wow. Yeah, we really want to let these people fulfill their creative dreams. Right. They are focused on the, the bottom line and making sure that they're making money off of this big investment because it's going to be a multi-billion dollar investment if they buy it out because they'll probably buy out you know they would almost have to buy out all of the ip and all of the studios and the thousands of employees i mean it would be a significant purchase and so my first thought is we would probably see studios close i doubt we would see any studios close that we know about but it would be more these like ancillary um studios like like ones probably a lot of them in like southeastern asia and asia where they have a lot of support studios there uh, i believe it's like ubisoft singapore ubisoft shanghai um th there's there's a decent number of them over there that I, I think are relatively small probably some of the um like the euro asian ones as well like bucharest and stuff like that bucharest is a pretty big studio um so it, it would probably stick around but I, I don't think that we would see like a massive you know uh, Montreal, um, any of the really, really big suit, Red Storm, things like that. Um, I, I imagine those would all be fine, but you're still talking about probably hundreds of jobs that would be lost um, after an acquisition like this and after new leadership is put in. Then you have to wonder, you know, like, are they going to approve Ubisoft making like 20 different games at any given time? Or would they want Ubisoft to, you know, to, would they basically force them to buckle down and focus on a smaller number of games and have all of these studios, you know, collaborate or, or just be more focused and not have so many smaller side projects. But here's the thing. While that would be sad for games that, you know, you know Skull and Bones or, or some of these maybe smaller projects that are on the side, Anno 1800 or the Anno series, it also may mean that they actually put out some games that are like contending for game of the year because of quality, polish, creativity, all of this stuff. So like there is a silver lining, I think. Um, I, I think it's fairly obvious that leadership at Ubisoft right now probably, you know, isn't the answer. Um, you know, there, there's the old, the, the whole thing of like a big ship takes a long time to turn type of thing. But I don't think, I don't think the Ubisoft ship is turning right now. I, I think that, you know, you probably have like 95% of the same leadership now as you did 10 years ago, um, especially at the tip top of the company. And so I, I think that there's the the slimmest possibility that an acquisition by one of these groups or by, you know, another large gaming publisher would probably be a good thing for the, the, the long-term prospect of Ubisoft. But yeah, I mean, you never know. It also could lead to Ubisoft just being shut down entirely. So... Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty conflicted on this. Um, the, the, the truth of it all is though, is that at the end of the day, this stuff all happens so slowly. It, it may be months and years before any type of acquisition is finalized. And then it could be more years until you even notice the impact of the change of leadership. So we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. 
Uh, the second story here is that uh, Amy Hennig is getting a second shot at a Star Wars game. So she used to be with um, EA and was working on, well, she worked on two different Star Wars games while she was there. Uh, the first one got canceled, and then the second one is a game that most of us, if you were paying attention years ago, know as Star Wars 1313, I think is what it was. And they had like one like cinematic slash gameplay trailer um, that was really, really exciting and really interesting. And then they shut it down and she left EA. <laughs> um, I, I don't necessarily know that she left because they shut that project down. But if you're someone as notable as Amy Hennig, who I believe is the person who did like the first Uncharted or I think maybe the first two Uncharted games, which are pretty highly regarded. Um, if if you're working at a publisher that won't get your work out, um, you know, that can be probably pretty frustrating. And I think it's fair to know your worth and leave. Um, and so she left and either joined or created Skydance Media. That's the studio she's with now. I believe created. I believe it's a new studio. And um, they have acquired the rights to do a Star Wars game. Um, now, most people are expecting this to be kind of a spiritual successor to that Star Wars 1313 game. It obviously won't be that game. EA, there's not a chance in heck that they would give up the rights to that and whatever that concept was. Um, but it, it's almost assuredly going to be something similar. So, um, so yeah, so that's exciting. Amy Hennig is like legendary in gaming development circles. Um, she's extremely well known for um, her creativity and, and her skill and her leadership. So this is a good thing. I, I think what's interesting is, so I'm, I'm almost 34. I'll be 34. Um, probably when you listen to this episode and, um, in my young, young, young days, uh, my, you know, before 10 year old days, there were Star Wars games everywhere. There were PC Star Wars games. There were Super Nintendo Star Wars games. There were Star Wars was everywhere. And a lot of them sucked. And some of them were awesome. Um, like Jedi Academy. Uh, I'm trying to think of the first person PC Star Wars shooter. That was just so cool. Um, I believe it was a Super Nintendo had some like side scrolling Star Wars games that were just legendary, man. Just so, so awesome. And, um, and then we went through this pretty long window where only EA had access to the Star Wars brand because of some giant deal EA did with, uh, either LucasArts or, uh, or Disney or whatever. Um, I think they did the deal before Disney acquired Star Wars, but I think Disney acquiring Star Wars is why EA lost their, their deal. And in those, oh God, eight, 10 years that EA had that license, they put out like the two Battlefront games. And then they did the, uh, the more recent game, um, the like Dead Souls-ish uh, Star Wars game. And then that like double A um, fighter game. And that's all. They, I think they did four games in like, eight plus years of ownership of that IP. Um, and now they don't have ownership of that IP anymore. Now we know that Ubisoft is working on uh, one. We know that um, now, you know, Skydance is the people who did the, uh, the, the robot. Um, oh, what's that Sony exclusive uh, where, where it's all the androids and all that. Um, 
you know, and 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 I suspect that we're only going to see more and more. Uh, we know that there's you know, EA is still working on Star Wars games. Uh, we know there's a a sequel to that Dead Soulsy game um, coming as well. And um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's ten plus Star Wars games in development right now. So, um, I'm hoping that that is uh, going to be a good sign for Star Wars games. I don't necessarily know that Star Wars games are as in demand now as they maybe once were, but who knows? Maybe they are. Um, at the end of the day, good games are in demand always, and Amy Hennig is probably going to make a good game if given the chance. Someone else who's pretty good at making good games is Kojima. And after some rumors last week, uh, due to a picture on the Sony website, um, Kojima has come out and very, very clearly uh, clarified that uh, his studio will not be getting purchased and they will remain independent. Um, so there was a bunch of rumors. Um, they put uh, Death Stranding um, uh, in, in this banner on the Sony website and every other game is made by a studio that's owned by Sony directly with death stranding being by Kojima studio, who is not, who's still independent, um, but works closely with Sony. Um, and it's, it's been, you know, pretty much disputed at this point or disproven that they're purchasing them. Um, there's a pretty big discussion to have about Kojima and ownership. I would be, amazed if he ever allowed his studio to get purchased by anyone um he has enough clout that he can get a deal with any publisher if he wants um if he wants to do a game with microsoft exclusively and get paid a crap ton of money for it it'll happen same with sony same with nintendo or if he wanted to work with ubisoft or ea or active you know any of these big companies um he could do it so he doesn't need that. He doesn't need that influence. Now he needs money, but he probably also doesn't need much of that. So um, another part of this is there's been a rumor for a long time that um, Kojima and Microsoft have either already pinned or are about to pin a exclusive game deal. Um, that's going to be some type of cloud-based game that is going to be, I'm sure, very Kojima-y. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I really believe that after his experience with, um, Kun, uh, Konami, right. Um, that he's not going to ever bow down to anyone ever again. I would be, um, I think he would retire before that would happen. And I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that his wanting to get into filmmaking and doing other types of media um, it is, is probably going to be pretty essential to him staying independent because if he, if he is acquired by someone, they are going to have some type of expectation of his time and, um, how his time is spent and how his resources are spent. So, um, I, I think that's, uh, not going to happen now. Jeff Grubb did say on his, um, you know, podcast, and I've seen others say this as well, that Sony is about to sign a deal to acquire something extremely large, um, something very significant. Now he and some other people haven't really thrown out who they're actually talking about yet. Um, but they seem to be pretty sure this is happening. Um, rumors have been Ubisoft, which as we discussed at the opening of the show, probably not going to happen, but maybe, um, they, they, they could be doing a, a bungee type deal with them. Um, 
but there's been rumors of I want to say like Square Enix or, or, or you know a few different pretty large like Japanese um, publishers and stuff that they could go after. Um, I've seen rumors of EA. I think EA is way more likely to acquire than be acquired. I I think I wouldn't be surprised at all to see. Um, I believe one of the rumors in that first story about Ubisoft being acquired, one of the players probably is EA in acquiring Ubisoft. I don't think that would, I, I have pretty mixed feelings about that, but they're definitely a potential buyer there. Um, because you need to realize that as big as Ubisoft is, it's not that big when you look at it compared to Sony, Microsoft, EA, Take-Two, Tencent, some of these companies, it's just dwarfed by them. So it being acquired by any of them wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. So we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, the next, this is kind of a little tidbit. Um, I, I, I would kind of call these Ubisoft massive game leaks um, not involving the Division 2, believe it or not. Um, but last night, I just noticed a, a developer on Avatar um, posted a tweet that said... Um, it basically was just saying like, hey, the Division 1 had 1 million objects on the map around. It was a little bit more. And I believe they uh, the, the tweet's now deleted. So I assume someone uh, rang them up and said, hey, you need to delete that. That's, you know, info we're not supposed to be giving out yet. But I believe it, it stated that, and because I didn't get a screenshot, of course, that the avatar world that we'll be playing in has 10 million plus items. Um, I'm pretty sure that was the number. So um, if you know how detailed the division one world is and how large it is, um, the idea that this new game, this new world is going to be in theory, 10 times more detailed is uh, pretty significant. So, um, and there's uh, a little part of me that sees the, the, the deletion of that tweet uh that it's probably true and it's probably a legit number and that's why they had to delete it so big big stuff happening um the other bit was i on um jeff grubb's um games beat podcast they did on friday he just kind of offhandedly mentioned he was talking about the amy hennig star wars project but he kind of offhandedly mentioned that the massive the ubisoft massive game uh star uh, that star wars is almost certainly going to be in the universe of the Mandalorian or be the Mandalorian or have something to do with the Mandalorian. Um, and that shouldn't be too surprising. If you think about the kind of games that like Ubisoft massive has done and even the avatar game or the, these big detailed open world games. Um, if they are, if they do like a Mandalorian type game, they can use a lot of what they know about cover usage and gameplay and movement and gunplay and stuff like that from the division games and use it towards that. So that's very exciting. And if that's what they're doing with that, then I am on board. Um, the next couple stories are my, my, uh, my, my weekly updates on mass effect and the division two, which means there's typically not much, but we're going to get into it. Um, the, the mass effect slash dragon age news, if that's what you want to call it actually comes from a poll. Um, by David Gator, um, who's the creative director at uh, Summer Fail Studios. And they asked um, if people would be upset if Dragon Age or Mass Effect sets canon choices for their stories for their upcoming games. 
Um, and I found this to be a significant poll because, so like if I run a poll, I might get a hundred people that respond. That's a pretty insignificant number. Um, it's very biased by the, the relatively small audience I have that for the most part probably thinks along the same lines I do. And um, this poll put up by David got um, 18,000 votes. And while obviously 50,000, 100,000, you know, quarter million votes would be even more representative, I think getting 18,000 responses on anything is, is something that you can at least take some significance from. So in the question of with Mass Effect and Dragon Age, obviously I'm thinking more about Mass Effect, um, them setting canon, um, here's how the responses broke down. There were four of them. Um, so 57.1% said that they would not be upset if the story was cool, of canon choices being set. 21.4% said it's a new game, it's fine. So that's essentially 58 um, or or uh, 78.5% who are saying like, yeah, that's fine if they set canon. And then 12.6% saying, uh, yes, they would be upset if it's not their canon, which is also, you know, that's understandable. And then only 8.9% saying, yes, I would be upset because it would ruin the game. Um, and again, that was out of 18,178 votes. That's honestly pretty surprising to me. Um, now, I suspect if you did that poll specific to a Mass Effect or Dragon Age audience, the, the results would still probably favor the, yeah, that's fine if they set canon. But instead of being 78%, it would probably be like 55, maybe 60%. I think it would be lower because there are a lot of people in those communities who really do think that if you canonize anything it ruins the whole point of the choices that you could have made um and and that's kind of where i i have some contention so for me seeing this um makes me pretty happy because i suspect that these are this is a sentiment that the developers of dragon age 4 and the next mass effect already know they, they've seen it from internal polling stuff like that and so my whole argument, and this is specific to Mass Effect, and I've talked about this in videos and probably during the podcast and during streams or whatever, but my whole thing is that a part of the issue that like Mass Effect 3 had is that it had become such a sprawling story by that point that they had to make a lot of concessions to basically lop off big chunks of what you could have picked to kind of funnel you down a road. But even by the end of Mass Effect 3, you know, it still sprawled back out and there were so many choices and there were so many possibilities and like not even just the three Indians you can pick from, which all three of them are significant. And I think would be hard to continue a new game to take all of them into account. But beyond that, you're talking about choices. If you're a Mass Effect fan, you'll know what I'm talking about, like the Geth and Quarians, uh, Peace or Not, uh, the Genophage, the Arachni. The, um, I guess those are probably all the big, big ones, but, you know, and then other significant choices that you can make as well. The argument I've made is that when, when you have an IP that has gotten that big, if you try to go back and so like with, with Mass Effect Andromeda, part of the reason that Andromeda, so if you don't know this after Mass Effect three released, they immediately started work on the prequel that was going to be set during the first contact war between the humans and Turians shortly after humans discovered what Mass Effect fields were and how to do 
uh, you know, much more expansive travel in space. And they discovered a relay that shoots you to other parts of the galaxy. And when they activated that relay, the Turians, which is an alien species, investigated what was going on, found the humans, and they fought a, a really short war, but it was pretty devastating. Um, now, the Turians consider it like, like a, a little conflict. The humans consider it like the biggest war of humanity because, you know, they have two different perspectives. But they were going to make a game about that, which I thought would have been freaking amazing. Like, I still think to this day. And then they switch from that to Andromeda. And the reason they did either one of those is because you can tell that back in the early 2000 teens, they didn't want to have to deal with, okay, so what comes after three? Because Andromeda takes place 600 years later in an entirely different galaxy where the choices that you made at the end of Mass Effect 3 don't matter. And then the first contact war would have been a prequel. So it, you know, and they were obviously avoiding like, okay, what happens after three? So this next game, for all intents and purposes, seems like it's going to take place after Mass Effect 3. Whether it's going to take effect, you know, take, take place right after or long after, we don't know. And we probably won't know for a while. But this this whole poll of, of talking about canon, my argument is that they can't make this next Mass Effect game, whether it takes place right after or many years later, to take in even all three of the main endings. I think that they have to pick one. Because if you pick Control, where Shepard melts himself and becomes the head of the Reapers, um, he in the game, he all the Reapers leave. Well, who's to say he won't be corrupted and the Reapers won't come back? Then that would set up the long-term baddies to be the Reapers again, which I don't think anyone really wants. It'd be led by Shepard, you know, the legendary human. Then you have the synthesis ending where all tech, all AI and tech and human and um, not humans, but all organic life were combined. And... In the trailers we've seen, that definitely isn't the case. That people don't have all the green stuff that you would have from Synthesis. And then the third is Destroy, where it destroys all AI and all the Reapers and all the Geth. Um, and what we've already seen is we've seen that this game is pretty much definitely taking place in the Milky Way. Um, that Liara is still alive, so it can't be more than, you know, I guess a thousand years later. Even though I think it's probably shortly after three um, we see that the Geth are dead and the destroy ending is the only ending where that happens. Um, I just, I, I think for the good of the franchise, and this isn't just Mass Effect, this is any game, that you, you have to kind of bring it back down to a narrow channel before you can expand again. Because if you try to account for everything, you're just, it, it, this, this next Mass Effect game would take 20 years to develop to take every single possible choice. And there's people who've been like, well, then they just shouldn't make another game if they can't account for all the choices. Well, they're making another game. So, so that's happening. So how do we, you know, how, what do we want them to do with that? And I think picking canon makes sense, even if it's not the canon I prefer. Um, and, and seeing this poll where, you know, more than 75% of people out of 18,000, which is a significant number, who aren't just Mass Effect fans, who are probably, you know, I don't know what the summer fail studios, and I think that's probably a good thing. So, um, yeah. So, so there's that. Um, the last story here is just the Division 2 very quickly. Um, there is a third PTS coming on April 30th. Um, 
that for me is setting expectations that they'll release the full game uh, probably in late May. Um, this PTS will probably last a week, so they're in early May. They'll spend a couple weeks doing their final fixes and then deploy the full patch. Um, this this third phase of the PTS is supposed to be them implementing some changes and uh, bug fixes and stuff like that that people found in the first two phases. So we'll have to kind of see what comes of that. I barely played the second phase. Um, it's such a pain to play it if you don't have Warlords. You have to make a new character every time you start a new session. So you can't keep your gear. You can't make your character seem like somewhat competent. Um, I I think this PTS is... As much as they talk about how, how bad the PTS would be on console, my experience with the PC PTS hasn't been any better than what they could do on console. So um, I know that's a unique situation because I don't have Warlords. But I think you know they, they shouldn't make the barrier so challenging like if you if you primarily play on pc or on console but you have access to a pc they should make it a lot easier to test on pc um whether they can you know transfer your character from the, your console account to that or whatever i don't know um i have found this um, to be pretty unsatisfying and then the content that they are bringing I, I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Um, a year ago probably would have been pretty exciting. Uh, now it's just kind of like, okay, cool. Like, that's that's neat. Um, um, I think some people will love it. I, I think most people will check it out and then will probably be gone again because I don't think it's significant enough to keep us around, even though I do fully um, plan on, like, diving into the story. And... Um, and, and, and at least getting that out of it and then probably waiting for the next bit of story and updates. So, so there we go. Uh, a couple of listener questions that we'll dive into. Um, Rod Grani on discord says, um, what do you think is a good starting age for kids being introduced to video games and what games? Um, and then Rod went on to talk about how they um, implemented with their kids. That's a question that we're asking right now in our own house. Um, so my daughter's two and a half and um she still hasn't really played games the extent of her playing games is sometimes she sneaks into my office game studio thing here and grabs a controller and just hits the buttons um i i used to like to try to give her the controller while i'm playing games so she could play with it but she's she she immediately turns on the controller i could take out the battery i know but she's like almost too she's too quick uh to learn and um and so she hasn't really played games yet um, we've, my wife isn't a gamer at all other than some mobile stuff. And, um, and she, I don't think she really wants her to be introduced to games, uh, at least definitely not yet and probably not anytime soon. Um, my plan for a while has been, has been to probably buy a, a switch Two or a switch pro, whatever, whenever they upgrade the switch significantly, I want to buy one of those and put it in our living room because all of my gaming stuff is in this office. Um, and I, I want to put a switch down in our main room and, um, for me to play some, I think my wife would actually enjoy it to a point and to maybe start to introduce games to my daughter. Um, now if that happens in the next year or two, so my daughter will be like three or four. Um, I mean, I would probably stick to just like very obviously children games. Um, you know, some Mario's, some things like that, even though some of those games can be so difficult for kids um, or, or even adults to a point. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't really have a good answer. Um, if, you, if you're listening to this route or other people in the comments on YouTube or 
on Twitter or wherever, let me know what you did or what you are doing, because I'm, I'm kind of curious myself. Uh, the second set of questions here is from Master Prime on Discord. Um, are YouTube and Twitch audiences the same? Um, so YouTube's is way bigger, like to like many times larger um, in general. Now, when it comes to live streaming, I, I don't really know. Um, I have to imagine, I'm pretty sure Twitch still dominates the like live streaming category pretty heavily. Um, I think YouTube has found difficulty in optimizing their already prolific services to be a really good live streaming platform. Um, I, I like Dr. Lupo a lot, and so he was on Twitch forever. Um, and then he switched to YouTube and he like kind of dunks on Twitch a lot, which is fine. Um, Twitch does stupid stuff. Um, but the problem is that like, like I'll watch him wherever he goes, but he is the only streamer I watch on YouTube. Um, the discovery isn't great. And I just, I think the YouTube live stream viewing experience is awful. Um, he brags a lot about like, you know, he can stream in 1440p or 2k or, uh, or 4k, which is cool. But one, the transcoding doesn't work that well. I have a one gig, uh, down about 200 gig uh, or a 200 megabit up internet connection. And I even struggle to watch him at 1440p. So I just watch him at 1080, which I could have done on, uh, Twitch as well. Now the, the bit rate is much higher on YouTube. So even at 1080, it does look a little bit better, but the chat is terrible. The interactions, you know, and the settings and the customizations are awful on YouTube or non-existent. And so Twitch from a live stream perspective is definitely still King. Um, though I wouldn't be surprised if they've kind of plateaued, um, and they're only going to get more competition, right? So, yeah. Uh, Master Prime, second question is, uh, with more Ubi games coming to Xbox Game Pass, is it realistic to say Ubisoft Plus is getting added to Game Pass? I don't know. So there's already the, um, the EA, whatever their thing is called, EA Plus or whatever, um, that's in Game Pass, and it's awesome. It means that you can play FIFA and all the, you know, all the EA games not long after they release um, through Game Pass. Um, I, I doubt Ubisoft's going to do that. I know that they're putting the Ubisoft Plus on Xbox. I wonder how popular Ubisoft Plus even is, though. Like, I have a really hard time believing that that's like a huge service that they're like selling tons of subscriptions of i could be wrong i haven't seen any reports on it so you know if i'm wrong i'm wrong but um i i don't know i i don't think they necessarily have to do that um the thing about ubisoft is that their games go on discount so quickly after they come out that i don't really think they have to to do something like this um and this could come down to some of these acquisition rumors and stuff like that too. I, um, if they get acquired by Microsoft, obviously their games will go on there. Um, if they get acquired by Sony, obviously they won't. Um, and if they get acquired by one of these third parties, who knows what's going to happen. So, um, I don't expect to see Ubisoft plus added to game pass anytime soon. Um, but I think we could see them dabbling more. So like they're doing like with Assassin's Creed, on um game pass right now we may see them put more of their stuff on game pass without fully integrating ubisoft plus 
So thank you both for those questions. If you have questions, be sure to leave them in the YouTube comments, um, put them into the discord, uh, reply when I ask for questions or topics on Twitter, and I will be sure to talk about them then. For some content updates, we are approaching 200 episodes later this year. Um, I would like to do some kind of celebration or giveaway or long stream of some type. Um, let me know if you have any ideas or, or thoughts to what I should do. Um, I would maybe like to wrap up the, the or do the 200 episode, be with some interviews of devs or something like that. Um, I have some Ubisoft devs I can talk to. I've, I want to reach out to and see if I can get some um, Mass Effect developers on. Um, the problem right now with getting Mass Effect developers is they're going to be so reluctant to go onto podcast when they're in such an early stage of the next game, because obviously like I can be professional and know, you know, I can't ask about the next game. They can't tell me, but they're, but you, even in just regular conversation, you know, you want to ask them to speculate, but they can't speculate because they know what's actually happening. So like you, like I suspect it'll be hard to get any of them on, but I'll try anyways. So, um, but let me know if you have any ideas for the 200th episode that would be coming up here in a few months. Um, as for videos and stuff, there's just not really much I have to talk about right now. So while I was putting out a lot of videos there for a while, um, I am kind of, I'm, I'm in kind of a break right now. Um, I have like some ideas for some like Mass Effect videos basically, um, but I kind of want to spread those out. Um, they don't do that well. And so I, I don't want to put all that time in to get like 30 views. Um, or I at least want to wait until they put out some news where Mass Effect, the videos just hit harder and I can put out, you know, some of those videos then. Um, and then for, for the division, obviously we've got, um, you know, the, the title update 15 coming heartland eventually coming at some point. Um, you know, so I'll make videos about that stuff when it is relevant. Um, Starfield is coming at the end of the year and I suspect they'll start pushing out a lot of marketing and PR for that game soonish. So, you know, I'll probably make some videos about that because I am excited about Starfield and any other games that kind of catch my eye. You know, I'll make, I'll make videos when I have a video to make is kind of how it breaks down. And that's where we're going to wrap this one up. So, uh, thank you for checking out the podcast. Uh, if you want more, be sure to like the video. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel on any platform, uh, be notified of new videos hitting, uh, by hitting the bell on YouTube and maybe check out some of my other content. You can find me all over the internet as bond diesel on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, and some other places. Um, please check out my echo cast and bond diesel merch at the link in the description below and over on my Twitter. And, uh, that's all I have. So until next time.